0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Shalom and welcome back to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. This week we're discussing mastering free will. Now, in the end, your whole life is just going to be the sum total of choices you've made. Lots of choices. Big choices, little choices. You have macro life decisions, but you also have your daily micros that are happening throughout the day you know in in great detail i mean literally which step you're going to take walking through a crowd in the old city it can be the difference between a twisted ankle or a you know a, or a, you know a healthy uh, arrival and the so th- there's like a lot of choices being made and you could say that all those choices you're going to made are going to have an equal sign at the end of your life and that's going to be you sitting there at the end of your life or maybe it's going to be you in a you on a stretcher and people crying and talking about you know your life and so those decisions that you make throughout your life will be, will be making up what they'll be saying. So it's really important that you get some mastery over free will. There are five steps to mastering free will. We've already done most of them. We only have two left, and uh, just gonna get The I'll make the list. Let's memorize it while we're at it, just for fun. Uh, anyone remember it? Okay, I'll write it right here. It's um. So we're talking about free will and mastering free will, and we've got um, constant. constant. Every and every second you can make a choice. Let's constant then reevaluation, and reevaluation, ground. and then we got battleground. the battleground, soul. and then the soul, and God, and then God, okay, and these are the. Three levels. Let's try that together. Everybody, real loud. One, two, three. Constant, constant re-evaluation, reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Keep going. Const- constant, we're memorizing. Reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Constant reevaluation, dummy. Battleground, soul, God. Constant re-evaluation, soul, God. reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Ladies, there's two spots right here for you if you'd like to grab them. Uh, constant. And you can put them next to each other if you really want. Just don't make a ton of noise doing it. Now, I ate my Power which my wife makes. They're, uh, they're these superfoods. But the problem is there's chia seeds in them. They get between your teeth and start expanding. So, excuse me a moment. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> I can feel a few more in there, but we'll deal with them as they expand. now, <laughs> superfoods now constant is that every second's a chance for a choice so imagine for example you're in your hometown and some weird looking dude walked up to you and said if you eat the red pill you'll be in Rabbi Yom Tov Glazer's class in the old city of Jerusalem and he ha- he's holding a red pill and you take the red pill he gives you a little cup of water And now, everybody close your eyes a second. You're taking the red pill, you're drinking the water, and on three, you're going to open your eyes. One, two, three, voila! Here we are. So you can choose to do that all the time, anytime. You can choose to just get present and be in the moment, choosing your reality, choosing your spouse, choosing your kids, choosing your parents, choosing your father, your mother's unsolicited advice. You can just know that she's all she's really trying to say is she loves you. Your father's unsolicited advice. All he's really trying to say is I love you. He just may have a different language in the way he expresses it. You choose your parents, you choose your siblings, you choose your spouse, you choose your life, you choose your occupation, you choose your, your Judaism, you choose your life. Okay, that's number one. Number two, reevaluation is you gotta be able to reevaluate your life. You're hardly a master of free will if you can't reevaluate things. So you got to reevaluate. I mentioned that I had a major marriage reevaluation last week which really bumped up my marriage in a major way. Really, really powerful. Wow. Huge shift in my marriage. And you know what I realized? I realized something amazing about women that I never knew before. And shall I share it with you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, this is something amazing that and I don't know if this is every woman, but I think it might be is that is that every woman starts her day at zero. And then Builds up to who she is during the day. Men, they're not much different, but they might have some remnants of yesterday's victories still kind of with them. You know, men also wake up like you know hitting the snooze button twenty times and like you know wish they didn't wake up like. But they, but men are um, men do have some fumes of previous days, weeks. Like they can, they can count their blessings of, you know, whatever victories they made, can, they can wake up to them, more or less. Whereas women, they may be able to do that a bit, but they kind of start at zero. And so, as a husband, your job is to know that. Because, you know, like, I had a famous a famous joke. I, I work a lot with Hasidic people. And uh, <laughs> I asked a Hasidic group, because they're very European, and they're, like, post-Holocaust. And so, you know, they, let's just say, like... They're not very expressive when it comes to love, okay? Besides, obviously, making kugel. Now, now I asked a group of 30 Hasidic men. I said, when's the last time any of you told your wife that you love her? So, no one raised their hand. So I said, well, has anyone told their wife they loved her? And like, then like five guys raised their hand. And I said, well, okay, when was the last time? So each one said the last time. You know when the closest man was? It was 10 years ago. Whoa. And you know what he said to me? You know what he said to me? He said something really shocking. You know what he said? And I didn't even say I love you. You know what I said? You are loved. <laughs> and the reason is, is because the, um, when people go through suffering, which is what happened in the Holocaust, when people go through suffering, any suffering, you too, all of us, if you know, like the air conditioning's not working on the plane and the plane's not taking off and you're like schwitzing, and you're like, get me out of here. And what happens is you, you disassociate Anytime you're in suffering, you disassociate from it to survive it because you don't want to be too close to suffering. But when someone suffers, you know, based on the quantity of the suffering, sorry, quantity, meaning the intensity and the amount of time you can, someone can go into full disassociation forever. And so all that's left is their world of being. Sorry, did I say being? The being's been disassociated. All that's left is the world of doing, of doing. So everything's like doing. So after the war, there were many very strong Jews who rebuilt Judaism in Brooklyn, mostly. And those people who rebuilt Judaism said, we're going to show those Nazi bastards. And our revenge is that we're going to rebuild Judaism like never before. But without the eye. But without the eye. We're just going to do it without the being. It's going to be the doing. It's going to do, not the being. Now, by the way, this isn't a rule. There's Obviously, you can meet people who are survivors, who have the being still intact. But many of them, it's just doing, doing, doing. Like, I, I worked with a kid. I worked with a kid from a Hasidic family who, uh, you know, today he's just kind of a sharp guy with, like, a lot of muscles. And he's, he keeps to her. Keeps to her. But, he's, you know, he's just a sharp guy with a lot of muscles. You know, and, uh, you know, he looked, he looked, looks, his face would look kind of like yours. What's your name? Sharp guy. Got some strength. Yeah. And uh, anyway, you look a lot like him. So I got to meet his grandfather, you know, the post-war grandfather. And his grandfather, you, you have to know that I went through thick and thin with this boy, man. I took him back from, like, I took him back from, like, literally the brink of death. And I've been through hell and high water for this boy. And I finally get to meet his grandfather. And I'm really excited to meet him, thinking, like, this is going to be an amazing moment of gratitude because people told him, you know, along the way that someone was helping him. And so I meet the grandfather, you know what his words were? What's with his payas? What's with his payas? And I'm like, ooh, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> his lack of payas? Yeah, he doesn't have payas. Yeah. I mean, he cut off his payas years ago. So he's like, what's with his payas? That was the question. You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, what's with the payas? So I was just like, I was like, I got like this zip drive opened up of everything I went through with this guy. And like, I'm getting what's with the payas. I mean, we you need more chairs, ladies? Um, can you bring uh, that chair out? And then, uh, oh, there's your chairs. All of a sudden, you're coming back? You guys are coming back? They can take your chest. Right on. Anyway, so what's with the payas? So as a joke, I went back to him. I said, hey, I met your grandfather. Because it was the wedding of their family. So I said, hey, I met your grandfather. He's like, really? What did he say? <laughs> um, well, it's time for you to regrow your payas. He started cracking up. I mean, he's not going in you know, It may be someday he will be. But anyways, we, we had a good laugh and drank some uh, scotch. Now, anyway, but you want to hear something crazy is that there's a whole community in Brooklyn that... A whole community in Brooklyn that's post-war, who actually removed the words I uh, removed the words love from their lexicon. You're not allowed to say love. Love's out. Yeah, you're not allowed to say love and in, in, at all. And so it didn't make a lot of sense why love should be out. But they they said it's a dirty word. <laughs> I guess they must have walked by a couple like you know shops and saw the word love and hearts everywhere or something. You know. And, oh, this looks like a nice store. You know, I walked in there to only to get a little surprise, you know. So the, I'm kidding, that's not why they got rid of it. The reason they got rid of it is you can't say I love you if you ain't got no I. There's no I love you until you have I, and that's why you see the magic of Torah. Look at the magic of Torah that says, re'echa You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? I uh, know all of you mean that means love your neighbor and you forget the rest. But the, what it means is, that you, sh- you can only love your neighbor, kamocha, in as much as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you don't love your neighbor, you're going to only be figuring out every time you meet someone how it makes you feel, how it makes you do. You can't love your neighbor any more than you love yourself. And in as much as you don't love yourself, you're going to be using your neighbor, meaning using everybody in your life, including your own parents, Notice you call this parent when it's this situation in your life. You call that parent when it's that situation in your life. You're like, you're like everyone's just, it's just a bunch of band-aids. And so you can't really love anybody until you love yourself. And this is the sad part. I mean, all these secular people are like really excited to get married when when they, they, they themselves see themselves as a piece of garbage. Because until you're into God, you're a piece of garbage. No offense, but you're, just do the math. You're just the end of some protons, neutrons, electrons bumping into each other randomly. That somehow came out with a, from a putrid drop, and, a, and an egg became became your random self. That's gonna that's gonna rot someday in the earth. And so, yeah, great. You can go, you know, play uh, what's that game everyone plays, Candy Crush, for seventy years, you know, until they bury you. So, until you're in God, there's no, there's no worth, there's no love within. And that's why the whole sentence is, you can only love your neighbors in as much as you love yourself. And what are the last two words? I am God, says the Torah. I am God, meaning, meaning I'm the one who made you, and that's why you're worth something. And if you get that you're worth something, that maybe you can actually start to have relationships out there, besides what's good for you. And so until you love yourself, you have no business really bringing someone into your life in a big way, like marriage, because that's not fair. And also, how are you supposed to ever know if this person's right for you? They may be right for you as far as healing up all your issues, but they may not be right for you once you're healed. Because until you're healed and you're someone who sees his or herself as someone worthwhile. So how do you even know who to marry? You don't marry a Band-Aid. Just because this person's a good Band-Aid for you makes you look good at parties or something, or is a good, good, you know, takes care of you in some way or another. Makes you feel smart. Makes you feel important. Makes you feel loved. But that's no good. That's not why you marry someone. That's why you uh, have a beer with someone. But you don't marry a Band-Aid. I'll never forget, in this classroom, I'm teaching a class called The History of Kabbalah, which we've never done, by the way. you probably enjoy So I'm teaching a class called The History of... Did I say never done? I've never done it with you guys. But I haven't done it in years. But I'm teaching a class called The History of Kabbalah. A guy in the back of the class announces that he's engaged to a Gentile. To everybody. And I was, like, walking with my pen over here to, like, write, you know, the first Kabbalistic book. You know, my pen just kind of goes like... I'm like... (coughs) (laughs) And I turn around and I say, what did you say? <laughs> and the guy's like, I'm engaged to agenda. And I said, so we're going to have to kill her. <laughs> and he said, you would have to kill me first. So you love her. With all my heart. And then a bunch of girls went like, mm. And I was just like, shut up. (laughs) So tell me, what do you love about her? And the guy just like nails it. He's just got point after point after point. I mean, he just like point after point. He's like, he's like, uh, 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 you know, it makes you feel important. makes him feel smart cooks for uh, she's uh I don't know, proud of him. Whatever it was it was a, it was a whole list, I don't remember this. It was a, it was long but it was like eight things of things. And and then I said to the crowd I said should he marry her? And and like several of the people were like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "No." And then I take my pen, another color pen. You guys did the cat yeah, the black just one. It, it just disappeared. Yeah. And I put the word me makes me feel important, makes me feel smart, cooks for me, um, is proud of me, etc. Supports me, <laughs> encourages me. Like it was a bunch of stuff. Guess what? Eight points, not one about her, not one. And I said to the crowd, who does he love? And what did everyone say? Himself. himself. And I said, no. He hates himself. He's, he's, his sense of self is like a 50-stitch wound. And this girl that he engaged to is like a butterfly band-aid. How do butterfly band-aids do with 50-stitch wounds? Not very good. And he's trying to marry a band-aid. And then, do you think for the next 45 minutes I taught about the history of Kabbalah? No. No, no, no. We spoke only about how we really feel about ourselves, which we're not going to do right now. Just because ain't nobody got time for that. At the end of the class, I was trying to leave with all the people. And I was like kind of hiding between the people because I didn't want to deal with the guy so much. But just as I get to the door, the guy says, Rabbi Glazer? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he says, can we speak? And I said, yeah. And we had a meeting that afternoon. He quieted. And he got real. And he says, you're right. I'm engaged to my Band-Aid. It's over. Oh, no. Now, I only saw this guy a year and a half later. He came running up to me at an AISH convention, our, our annual partners conference. A year and a half later, I didn't recognize the guy. I only knew him from the back of the class. so I was like, I didn't know who it was. But a guy walks up to me, keeps a sits his fully observant. So excited to see me and thank me for having, you know, gone out on a limb like that in the class. So the lesson for all of you, though, who are in this room right now, is, is, you know, if you were a partisan living in the forests of Eastern Europe, you're living in the forest hiding from the Nazis, and a train gets kind of stopped there in front of your forest there. And so the train's just there. There's no one around. And you see, you see someone... You see someone who managed to wiggle their way out the window a little bit. You're going to help them get out? For sure. For sure you're going to help them get out. what What if it could offend them? Would you help them out? Yeah, you'd help them out. You'd help them out because it's better to offend someone on the risk that maybe you could save someone. And so I took that risk and I always do. I always take that risk with people because it may be very offensive and it might even create an extremely awkward situation. And I was wrong and I shouldn't have made the move. But you know what? I make the move anyway because in case that I'm right, in case that my instincts are right, that I should be saying something right now, so I understand that you may feel embarrassed or shy sometimes when you've got an opportunity, maybe on an airplane, someone's sitting next to you or whatever. And it may feel a little awkward to start talking about, you know, things that they should maybe be shifting in their lifestyle or whatever you want, whatever, however you want to start the subject with them. But it may feel awkward, but I think you have to put awkward on a scale of someone putting their, put, that God's put someone in front of you. Like Someone's like... Putting their hand out of a train on its way to gas chambers. <coughs> and you should know the people in the gas chambers were better off than the Jews that assimilated. They were better off. Because the body's temporary, the soul's eternal. How many souls were killed in the Holocaust? Zero. But how many souls have died over the last 70 years since the Holocaust? And the answer is even more than bodies were killed in the Holocaust. There's been more people whose souls got extinguished from our tradition, from our tribe. And that's way worse than a body getting killed. Way worse. So think about that when you're feeling like, should I say something, should I not say something? The answer is you should say something. And when the, answer, when the question would arise in your head, well, who am I to say? Like, what do I know? How, much, how good am I at this? I don't know how good you are. But, but, you know, let God put the words in your mouth and be there for somebody. And you know what? If you don't know what to say, so tell them, I don't even know what to say. But I know people who do. And connect them. And today it's so easy because every Jew. In the world, as long as they're not keeping the Torah, um, every Jew in the world has a smartphone. And that gives a great opportunity for them on the, on the sly, meaning to show up to a class, it's hard. To click on a link that you sent them is really easy. Send them a provocative link that's only 10 minutes long. They'll probably watch it. It could change their lives, change their life forever. Yeah. what would be on the perfect list perfect woman list yeah (laughs) seriously like what would be the ideal low maintenance just kidding I just want to see if someone would throw something at me you ask any boy it's low maintenance is the number one thing on their list is that the saddest thing ladies is that the saddest thing that's crazy right because they don't want to be married to someone who starts at zero every day and have to somehow build her throughout the day. You know? That all has been forgotten <laughs> daily. It really doesn't matter what you did last night when you took her out to dinner and bought her a piece of jewelry on the way home and spoke to her heart for three hours. She wakes up at zero the next day. It's a zero balance every day and so that's just the nature of the beast so all the men who say that all the men who say low, low maintenance are just fooling themselves cuz that's not called a relationship in other words what the men are saying or are saying low maintenance is is I don't want a relationship with someone but I know I have to get married so let it at least be easy um There's no such thing as perfect. Each person has their needs. No, from a godly Jewish perspective, I'm saying. Instead of something that's only for me, me, me. Like the perfect spouse? No, like what would be on that list? You know what I mean? The ideal Jewish person. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing on your list. Zero. Get off Santa's lap, man. No wish list. No wish list. As long as you're like even relatively attracted. Relatively. You have to be relatively attractive so, as long as you're relative. Now, if these are older people or they've already been married once before, so relatively attractive is not going to work so much. Mm-hmm. But uh, as long as you're still young and dumb, mm-hmm. relatively attractive is amazing. It's amazing because you just grow together. The amazing thing is if you marry someone when you're young and you stay married to them, you never age. It's the mm-hmm. weirdest thing. <laughs> you keep looking at each other like the day you got married. And and it's so awesome to do that. I mean it's just amazing. You're never married to an old person. How long are you two married? Forty three years. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Forty three years. Oh my gosh. You <laughs> do you guys feel like you're married to this old person? <laughs> Uh-huh. But you, when you look in each other's eyes, you are it's really like there's zero age there. And and that's like, it's such a blessing to get married young like that. So so anyway, nothing on your wish list. I have a class online. Everyone should check it out. It's really some class. It's called Happy, H-A-P-P-E-Y, because there's six steps, so I had an E to it. Happy usually has five letters, but this one has an E in it. And... Uh, it's called happy it's this um, six ways to find your soulmate and it really works quickly. So be careful <laughs> if you're not ready. Don't use these six ways because it just kind of comes quick. And um, and then the 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 one of those things is to is the oh, the E <laughs> that actual E is the word expectations. And uh, and it means get rid of them. Meaning get off Santa's lap with your hundred item wish list of the perfect comfort zone spouse, and you get rid of all that stuff. The only thing you're allowed to want is uh, the only thing you're allowed to want is uh, you're allowed up to three deal breakers. So, for example, let's say you're Persian, <laughs> you have got to marry Persian. Like that's, a, that's a deal breaker. Let's say you keep Torah. Well, that's a deal breaker to marry someone who doesn't keep Torah. You're not going to be able to keep Shabbos by yourself. So, so these are deal breakers. Now, obviously, that's not going to be in everyone's deal breaker because most people, if you're already observing, you're probably only in a pool of dating a dating pool that's observant, so you don't have to worry about that one. But let's say you got a PhD. You know, you're not going to marry. You want to marry a skateboarding high school dropout? Okay, you're just not going to have what to talk about. So that could be a deal breaker that you want someone who actually went to university something like that. Clear? So you're only allowed deal breakers, mayor. Otherwise, just leave it up to Shem. Leave it up to Shem. You don't, how are you supposed to know? No, but from a different perspective, like, you're, you asked this person, um, why do you, What do you was, love about what her? What do you love about her? Yeah. And then he brought up a bunch of stuff about himself. Right. He should have just complete. like what, Should have been all about her? her. Right. If you ask me what I love about my wife, it's mm-hmm. going to be a long list all about her. And I'm not in any of that. But doesn't that? That's what I love about her. Why would I <laughs> mention myself if I'm talking about her? So it's going to be about my wife. So, because that was the question. What do you love about her, not yourself, mm-hmm. when you're with her? Okay. So reevaluation is you got to be able to reevaluate your life. How do we get on that extremely long tangent there? Do you have a question? Yeah, it related to reevaluation. Yeah. You were talking about. Um, Jews from the Nazi camps coming back and then having like militant style Judaism without the eye. They had the doing style Judaism without the being part. Right. So now you without see- the eye. Now we're seeing like grandkids and kids of that generation come down and a lot of them are reevaluating. We had a kid of that generation in the back of the room a few minutes ago. Yeah, all right. He took off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like the Balchuba movement is all like basically reevaluation. It's the fire alarm. They're just testing it unless we suddenly start smelling smoke. I hope they're not really planning for us to get out of here, are, they? Uh, are you sure they're testing it? What? Are you sure they're testing it? Well, I mean, you can, ask the, you, you can go ask the guard if there's a test. People don't move so quick for fires in Israel because uh, everything's made of stone here. So It just doesn't quite burn like the rest of the countries. You you get to, like, you know, make a latte, you know, on your way out. It's just, everything's stone. I mean, this room has wood panels, I guess. But, like, they're probably about that thick, and on the other side of that is stone. And this is going to be right over the other side of this is stone, too. So, okay, um... Where were we? So I'm just wondering regarding reevaluation in the current like swing of Bachtuba people coming back into Judaism and like away from back into like the connection of Judaism rather. Oh, than the, the being rules. part of so, Judaism, the connection, yeah. the kavana, yeah, have, the, the the wetness, yeah, yeah, the intimacy, exactly, the yeah. connection. What about it? I don't. I'm just sort of that whole sort of.
1: You're not phase. asking a question.
0: Yeah, you're bringing it up. Bringing it up, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Berksham, There's like a about there's about like a global reevaluation going on here. Yeah, okay? which is quite amazing. Okay, I'm just gonna knock these out because I'm not gonna talk about this stuff next week. So, battleground is the battle between your body and your soul. Okay, you got a little voice in your head says to do this, says to do that. Some of that stuff's godly. Some of that stuff's more body oriented, like more immediate gratification. I finished it. You have to be able to reevaluate your life. Okay. If you can't reevaluate your life, you're not going to have much free will at any. Okay. The the battleground is between the body and the soul. And number four is to choose the soul in, in your life. But, but to choose the soul, you have to negotiate well, because the body is not there for nothing. God gave you a body voice. So, so you got to negotiate with the body quite a bit. So the main part of soul is just Obviously, you want to choose the soul over the body, because everything you choose soul is eternal. and Everything you choose body is, it's the word ephemeral? Is that the right word? I'm looking for a, like a fancier word. Ephemeral? I think so, too. So, public speakers have to use fancy words, even though no one knows what in the world they're talking about. So, anyway, the, the soul is eternal, the body is ephemeral. So all the voice in your head that just says, I want a sandwich, or I want a burger, or I want fries, or I need some water, or, I want a beer, you know, whatever it is. So that's the, that's the animal soul voice. That's the voice of the body. Now, they're in battle. They're in a battle. Now, if you want to pretend you're not in a battle, like some people, I meet people, like, they, they're just sick and tired of, you know, their Jewish upbringing, because, like, their whole life's just a battle. Because they see secular people are clearly not in a battle. They're just not battling. They may have their own battles, but they're not battling the soul and the body. You understand? That's not their battle. And so there are kids who were raised observant, whose parents never gave them proper shkofa. So, so basically, it's just do's and don'ts and don'ts and do's. Yeah. So people who were raised in, with a bunch of do's and don'ts and don'ts and do's are constantly in this battle, and they're jealous of people who aren't battling and now I got a question for y'all y'all listening Donnie you with me got a question what happens to someone on a battlefield in the (laughs) battleground who wants to pretend he's not on a battleground how does he do like a little army war time battleground can you imagine like someone on the battleground said you know what meanwhile everyone's like in trenches and like trying to gain more ground and Firing away from the trenches and, and one guy says, you know what? I don't believe in this war. <laughs> yeah, what happens when you try to pretend you're not in a battleground? Yeah, well you 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 lose quickly. So all the people who get sick and tired of the do's and don'ts of Judaism and jealous of secular people who don't care about that stuff, they're in a they're still in the battle. The battle didn't go away. It's just that they're losing the battle. Becoming secular just means you're losing the battle. It doesn't mean you're not in the battle. It just means you've decided to lose the battle. That's all. You're just giving up and losing the battle now. So we're always going to be in a battleground. You're never go- It's never going away. Choosing to be secular just means you're losing the battle. Choosing to be observant means you're, you're in the battle. And it's crazy because because the point of it all, like the whole reason you were born was to connect to God. But you have a party that doesn't care about that. It's not interesting to it. Doesn't doesn't care at all. It's insane. It's like a crazy part of you. Now, in the secular world, when you want to pretend you're not on a battleground, so you actually pretend you're sane. Whereas when you are observant, you admit that you're insane. Think about it. Someone who's schizo like that is sane or crazy. Crazy. So if you know you're crazy, which means you're observant, an observant Jew knows he, that he or she is crazy. So if you know you're crazy, that you've got a part of you that would throw everything away in one minute, a part of you that can make such big mistakes in a matter of one trip to Vegas, that you're crazy and you know you're crazy and, and you want to know something amazing about knowing you're crazy? If you know you're crazy, you can do something about it. It's like if someone knows they have cancer, they now have a chance. But not knowing is real dangerous. So someone who knows they're crazy and that they got a part of them that just pulls them away from godliness, they have a chance. Someone who wants to pretend they're sane, who like walk around the streets of cities of the world pretending like they got their stuff together, you know, businessmen in suits and, and you know, women getting their nails done or their whatever and jumping into their Lexus and everything's all buttoned up. Kids are learning Spanish with the nanny. And she's out shopping and everything's all buttoned up out there. And they, so they're pretending to be sane and they have no idea what trouble they're in because don't forget, the whole world's a holographic projection. None of this exists. This is all. This is an illusion. We're inside a holographic projection here, and the whole point of the projection is just to have the battle between the soul and the body. And the way you, when your projection disappears, otherwise known as death, when the holographic projection disappears, meaning you die. So then, all the choices you made for soul are eternal, and you wear them like a garment. You literally—that's your clothing. Your clothing are the choices you made spiritually for the godly voice throughout your life. That is what you wear. Whereas all the body voice, all the body voice choices that you made, I mean, they basically get stripped off like an industrial potato peeler. You guys know what that is? Yeah, you ever wonder how like a yeshiva serves like potato kugel to 500 men, you imagine peeling those potatoes? So what they have is they have this giant cauldron full of spikes, it's lined with spikes and and they have this machine that jiggles the potatoes and, and it just jiggles them and jiggles them and eventually, I mean I'm sure you lose quite a bit of potato but there's no other way to make potato cooker for 500 people so, so they, uh, anyway it jiggles around and it peels them off so those people who make body decisions in their life are wearing that they actually wear those choices to the next world in other words, you enter the next world in soiled garments. And this is obviously someone who didn't do chuva, because you have chuva and you could also get really lucky and die the day after Yom Kippur, which would be wonderful, obviously. You know. <laughs> but you can't count on that. You know, you don't know what day you're gonna die in. And so and there's also a remnant if you didn't do real chuva. This remains a remnant of things we do for the body voice. And then the potatoes go into the peeler and all that stuff gets peeled off. And whatever soul choices you made, you get. You wear that as your garment in the vibrational reality of souls. Because when you go to the soul world, you're in a vibrational reality. Which is really cool, by the way. It's quite amazing. We spoke about that the other day. Like, it's hard to imagine that the other... like We're at the, the end of the projection. But right on the other side of this projection is the vibrational you know, channels bringing this projection. And when we die, we actually hang out in those vibrational channels. Now, if, if for some of you, that just doesn't sound very exciting. Like, you mean I'm doing all this to hang out in vibrational bliss? Like, I'm supposed to just hang out in vibrational bliss? Like, I can think of more exciting things than hanging out in vibrational bliss, but anyone who's been to a large rock concert, or rave, or any type of concert that's got a solid beat with like 30,000 people there, or 40,000 or 50,000 people, and the entire place is just moving to the beat like that, and like you're just wishing this would never end, and 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 you're connected, and you're you're everyone's locked on like that. And the band's locked in with the group, and the, the crowd, and the crowd's locked in with the band, and and you're just wishing it would never end because you're touching eternity in that moment. So, locking into vibrational energy is good. Not necessarily at rock concerts, but certainly when you enter the next world, i.e. when the projection disappears for you because you passed away, and that little thin membrane you call your awareness no longer is just a thin awareness, but it's actually this massive blow-away experience. So so hanging out in vibrational energy is apparently really awesome. But you got to get stripped first by the cosmic giant potato peeler in heaven there's a term for that giant potato peeler it's called Gehenna. and and that that potato peeler called Gehenna is basically just takes care of business over there now it's actually much more personalized than a potato peeler meaning 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 there will be like an angelic there'll be like an angelic cheeseburger and you'll be and you'll like somehow recognize it you'll be like I remember that road trip where I was so hungry and I just I fell, I ate a cheeseburger now that cheeseburger from 40 years ago shows up with like pointed teeth and like, sorry fangs and pointed ears with like a chainsaw you know he's just like I've been waiting for you and you're just like was like I'm about to get reamed by a by a cheeseburger, but that's literally literally it's extremely custom made. Every body choice you make waits for you in this little trippy substrate that you got to get through to get to the soul world. There's there's levels and chambers you got to go through and. The lowest level is very much like our world, similar to our world. That one we're not talking about. We're talking about above that's called the kaffakela. That's that's where like suicidals go and that's it's a punishment for there's a special punishment for trying to leave the world before your life was over. And that is you stay in the world. It looks exactly like this. You could even be in this classroom. You guys thought that chair was empty. You never know. Who's hanging around here right now. So and by the way, if someone is in that chair how you doing? <laughs> so, anyway, that's the Kafkaeia, and no one want to. You don't want to wind up there. The punishment for trying to leave early is you never leave. So all of us have to go through, even the most painful suffering. We have to see it through, and the, uh, and then the, uh, the other. Uh, but this realm, the the is the realm called Gehenna. It's higher than that realm, because because it's on the way out. It's on the way out. Shabbat, do they get to leave? They get to leave on Shabbat. Yeah. To where? They get to go up to up to the, the vibrational energy world. Really? Yeah, they go to Yitzhara on Shabbat. And and we want to hear a crazy thing, that between sundown and three stars come out Saturday night, they have to come back down to Ganem, And they, they come through a substrate of water. They're, like, shooting down this substrate of water, screaming. Like, Wah! And they're just like like shooting through the substrate of water and obviously they don't have body so it's this is all going on in the consciousness but they're shooting through the substrate of water until they like plop back to Gehenna for the next week until Shabbos. No one's in Gehenim in Shabbos. And the uh, and the kafikela, I don't know what happens to those people on Shabbos. <laughs> Very good question. I have to ask a Kabbalist which is tonight um, by the Rebbe except I can't go to the Rebbe because I'm running a seminar this week. Yeah. Go without me, man. They, they got bus everyone in the world takes buses to Beitar, you know. Husbands, wives. Is it in Baytar. Just go. Take a bus, get off at a stop, walk in there. Um anyway, but we have a custom, you ready for this? this? is a crazy custom that at third meal between sundown and three stars, we don't drink <laughs> clear fluids. I we don't drink water or or seven up or you, you just don't drink water at that time. So you'll see my wife sometimes. You know, we forgot to get drinks, or a bunch of people showed up and drink all our drinks on Friday night. Now it's third meal, we don't have any drinks, so she'll come out with pictures of like grape juice water. You know, it's water with a little touch of grape juice. You know, because I mean, you don't want some dead dude in your cup. You know, <laughs> I have this crazy vision of like of like. You know, just one week blowing it off because, like, come on, like that's a little weird. You know, like, just give me the water. So I'm like holding my water, and all of a sudden, like everyone just hears this, right into my cup. I'm like, dude. (laughs) By the way, can I just say something about Kabbalah? We were just learning a little just now. Sometimes when you hear that stuff, you know, you're kind of like, what the hell come on that is just so far out like you want me to take that seriously you know what I mean so you want to hear something amazing why you you should take it seriously (laughs) you want to hear something amazing is that I mean not necessarily the water thing I mean imagine no one's going to get him for for drinking water at third meal but what I'm saying is Kabbalistic stuff to take that seriously why I'll tell you you want to know why it's crazy same stop shop is why think about it uh If you keep Shabbat, if you make brachot, if you keep kosher, if you keep anything, you wear a pair of tefillin, you light Shabbos you do all that stuff. You do any of the stuff that observant Jews do, it's only because we had five books, which is just a bunch of hyperlinks, that when you click on the hyperlinks, the Rebbe's, the oral law, say how to do that particular thing. So if you're keeping Shabbat, it's only because Rebbe Meir said this, and Rabbi Akiva said this, Rebbe Shimon said this, and Rebbe Yossi said this, and that's how you know how to do it. Well, guess what? When you open up the Zohar, Rebbe Meir said this, Rebbe Shimon said this, Rebbe you know, Yochanan said this, and Rebbe Rabbi, uh, Yossi said this. Same stop shop. So if you're going to trust them for how to keep or avoid breaking Shabbat, if you're going to trust them for how you eat your food, if you're going to trust them in life and death situations, if you're going to trust them for a ketubah or for a get, if you're going to trust those rabbis for every mitzvah we do, if you're going to trust them to dump sorry, to drop $1,000 for a pair of tefillin, if you're going to trust them for every single thing we do, why would you put a grain of sand, grain of salt, sorry, why would you put a grain of salt when you hear crazy, wacky, completely cosmic Kabbalistic facts. Because they really... I mean, I'm telling you, no, you can't believe some of this stuff. Some of the Kabbalistic stuff. Especially the, the crazy kabbalistic stuff we're learning about how God actually does this whole thing. How the whole projection works is what we're learning in our Chabura. And... Whoa! You know, it's just unbelievable. I mean, these... The, Okay, I, I realize we got to go. I'm blessing everyone with great Shabbos. We have third meal at my house. Anyone wants to come to my house, you can ask my address. Any questions outside? Please. Everyone put a little money together for that family. Oh, here's the rabbi. Thank you, rabbi, for doing what we should have done ourselves. Anyone who wants to boost a class, feel free to ever, ever sponsor a class. I'm I put a hundred shekels down almost every class so Facebook doesn't squelch it. Wow, is that a class boost? For those of you who need a break, I'm taking questions I'm now. Concert uh, stars. Sure at 420 to 425, whatever. You uh, seem can you stop it? Excuse me. Can you stop, stop that and share? Stop that you seem worse. Okay. Watch the table.